Good morning. How is everyone? Good. We got an awesome worship service today. We get to ordain some deacons. We get to dedicate a baby. So it's very exciting. We're going to get into the Word a little bit before we do that. Will you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1? If you need a Bible, there's some uh, in the chair in front of you. And this is page 129 in that blue Bible. We're going to read about half of 1 Samuel chapter 1. So I'll tell you when we skip some verses so you can stick with me. But we'll start in verse 1. There was a certain man of Remathiam Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now if you jump to verse 20, we're going to pick it up there. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go, for she said to her husband, As soon as this child is weaned, I will bring him up, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray. Father, bless the preaching of your word. We ask that you would go before us now and speak to our hearts. Speak clearly to us. Let us see your word 
clearly and that you would minister to us by your word, God. We thank you that we get to celebrate today two different things with men who have been faithful and have served and shown themselves trustworthy and with parents who want to make a public commitment of committing their daughter to the Lord. We rejoice that you are so good to us, Lord, that we can come before you with these things and celebrate and be joyful. Amen. Now, to know the backdrop of this story, um, I'll just give you like Bible history 101, um, just this part of Bible history. But basically, Samuel is in the long line of judges. And to this point in Israel's history, there has not been a king. So the kingship has not been established. And so Israel was, world, was ruled really after Moses and Joshua with, by judges. So you even have a book called Judges. And Samuel, well, he's, he and then his sons are really the last judges of Israel. And, and so <clears throat> as I was preparing for this sermon, the question is like, why do we get this whole story about Samuel? Because if you think about it, we find out about Samuel from really pre-birth all the way to his end. And you really don't get that with anyone else in the Bible except Jesus, if you think of it. Now, there might be one I'm missing, but to follow the person really from before they're born and see them in childhood and then see them grow up and then see their ministry, you really don't get that. So what is God doing here? And really the big picture is that God is showing that the, the, the period of judges is coming to an end and Samuel is going to be the one that God uses to institute the kingship in Israel. The first king being Saul, the second being David. So that's kind of the, the big picture. So we find ourselves in the period of the judges with Samuel here being called really from an early age to serve the Lord in this capacity. Now, we find out a little bit about his mom, <clears throat> which is important because um, the word of God is faithful and true. And it puts special emphasis on mothers from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The role of a mother is key in the life of children. In our story today, Hannah wanted something so bad and she's so distressed about it that she seeks out the Lord and begs for a son. And she's so desperate and that she wants such a favorable reply that she's willing to even devote her son to the Lord for full service, full ministry, from the time that once he was weaned, essentially. So you're just talking maybe two or three years old, and she dedicates him, not just uh, verbally, but physically gives him over to the priest at the time, Eli, to be raised in the temple of the Lord, essentially, the house of the Lord. Now, let me, get, let me ask you guys something. Have you guys ever wanted something, like, really badly? Maybe a spouse. I was there. A child, a car, a house, retirement. Or maybe you've wanted some situation to greatly change. You're in a tough situation. You'd like that to be over with. Maybe you've wanted something about yourself to change. Right? We all, if we're honest, kind of have our shortcomings and we know what they are. A sinful habit, a bad disposition, maybe an attitude, a negative view on life. 
And you're like, Lord, like, help me. Like, I'll do anything if you will help me in this area. Well, I've been there with a few of those things. And I think if we look at Hannah's example and her approach, we can learn a few things that can help us um, in raising children, but also in our own walks with the Lord and our own walk of life. The first thing I want to notice that we can learn uh, when it comes to Hannah is the trust that she had. Hannah knew where to turn with her sorrow. In verse 10, it says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Friends, I mean, one, if you're hurting, the best place to go is to the Lord because he can heal with that hurt, that frustration, that bitterness, that disappointment. But two, notice that Hannah went to him and sought him out and prayed. She trusted the Lord with her sorrows. She trusted him with her sorrows. And then the Lord was gracious to answer. Sometimes he answers favorably. Sometimes he doesn't answer the way we want him to. That itself is a trust issue for us. None of us have perfect lives, really. Now, some of us have more challenging lives than others, but none of us have perfect lives. And you know what? God uses that imperfection in our lives, and he uses the challenges and afflictions to grow us and to make us into who we are. If we're honest, some of the challenges that we've gone through in our life have molded and shaped us to be the people we are. Think about that for a second. My parents uh, got divorced when I was seven years old. It was the worst thing at the time. But God has redeemed that situation, as awful as it was, to really make me into the man I am today. And I have many different, I'd say, a couple traits and qualities that have uh, flourished because of that horrible situation. And God has used that. that. That doesn't mean there wasn't challenges with it. But God, I believe, redeemed that situation. In fact, I believe that if it wasn't for my parents' divorce, I probably wouldn't be standing before you today. truly believe that. God redeemed that for his own purposes. He can take the awful and use it for good. He doesn't make the awful good. Okay? Hear me? But he takes the awful and redeems it for good. He'll use it for his good purposes. He has a beautiful way of doing that. So Hannah knew where to turn. We've got to do this in our own lives. We've got to be willing to turn to the Lord. You can turn to all sorts of things. I mean, there's like a long list we could just list off right now of things you could do to try to deal with your junk and your stuff and your situation. All sorts of stuff. It, it ain't going to work. All right? Many of us have been there and tried. It doesn't work. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. He's the one that can deal with it and help you and walk with you through it. This is true for parenthood as well when we're dealing with our children. Each parent has to do this with their child. And we have to do this when they're young. We have to make a commitment, just like Chris and Brittany are going to do, a commitment to the Lord that indeed they are truly his. That's, that's, in one sense, it's easy to say, but Chris and Brittany are going to, you know, uh, we're going to read a charge to them and they're going to respond to it. In one sense, it's easy for them to say, but then like living that out and enacting it, that's the challenging part. So you got word and then you got action, right? So that we're going to hear their words today and already we've seen after a year, right, their actions and we're going to continue to encourage, just like we would all parents, to continue to be faithful to their commitment to the Lord. 
So we have to do that ourselves. Lord, here's my son, here's my daughter. I have four children God's blessed me with. Each one of those, I've had to trust them, literally their soul, to the Lord. Place them in his care and know that he is sovereign over each one of them. Do what he may and do what he will. I have to trust. The second thing we have to do is train. That really goes back to the words. We don't want to just say we're going to do a good job. We want to do a good job. So we have to train. Listen, Hannah didn't have long with her son in her house. She had him until he was weaned. So a couple years. Listen, it really seems sometimes, especially you older parents can can um, speak to this. I, I have a 17-year-old, so I'm, I'm starting to see that as well. Uh, the time is short. The time is short. So you have to take advantage of the time. Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and in the blink of an eye, they're out of the house. So uh, Chris, Brittany, Nori's going to be bounding out the door with car keys in hand in just the blink of an eye, okay? You will turn, and she will be driving off. So one, for all of us, like, enjoy every moment. Enjoy every moment. Different times in my my own kids' lives, at special occasions or different things that we're participating in, I'll just pause, and I'll just say to myself, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to soak this in right now and I'm going to enjoy this moment because it's going to be gone and the only thing I'll be able to do after this moment is look back on it with a memory. So I'm going to enjoy it right now and I'm going to try to remind myself of those, to enjoy those moments, the good ones and the bad, especially the good ones, but to enjoy those moments for what they are, gifts from the Lord. Two, we want to use every moment that we have to train our children. Turn to Deuteronomy 6. It's uh, page 87 in the Blue Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In verse 4 it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So what's the picture that we get? Every moment you're taking advantage of to train your children. Notice what it says. When you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Basically, all the time, you're taking that opportunity. We play a lot of basketball in my household, and so we spend a lot of time driving to games. Some of them can be 45 minutes to an hour away. I try to redeem those times to speak, even if it's just a five-minute conversation, to try to impart some element of truth, biblical truth, into my kids. Okay? Uh, the idea is, is, you know, they're really not looking, definitely not looking for some hour-long discourse from their dad, who's also a pastor. I could give them that, and you all probably could too. But you're trying to use those opportunities that arise. In fact, just the other day, 
um, we were coming back from basketball practice, and my son mentioned something about uh, some situation going on in the NBA. He was, he's an NBA fan. But it gave us an opportunity to talk about, like, what, what is the truth of that matter? Like, what does the word speak on that issue? And we had just, you know, it was just like a 10-minute conversation, but it was an opportunity to speak biblical truth to him so that he can learn what does God's word say about this thing? What does God's word say about that thing? What does God's word say about this thing? We want to have the mind of God on these things. And the word is God's, God's truth revealed to us. So as we study it, we can have his mind on that. We can know what he thinks on things. So we train with an end in mind, and we train with purposeful intent. Listen to this from Proverbs 22. It's verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is not a promise. It's not a promise. But it is a general truth. You read the Proverbs, they're general truths. A gentle wrath turns away anger. That's one of the Proverbs. Have you ever answered someone graciously, softly, kindly, and it hasn't turned away wrath? I mean, I have, right? But generally, you can, you can quell a situation that's rising with a gentle answer. So it's a general truth that we see. The general truth that we see is you train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. We want to pour the word into our kids as much as we can. We want to use the time that we have to train them with biblical truth. And here's the thing, and this is a challenge for all of us. All of us, we're on like a pendulum as parents, and on one side is law, and on the other side is grace. And that pendulum is always kind of swinging one way or the other. Each one of us probably has a propensity towards one or the other, towards law or grace. Well, listen, every family has to have rules. Okay? You have to have boundaries. You have to have standards. You need that. But really what you want flowing in your home is grace. Grace. You want your home to be a place where your kids want to be, not where they look to flee or get out of. They need the law. Why? Because the law shows them, well, one, it helps train, but really, two, Galatians talks about, it points them to Christ. It points them to Christ. But if they don't have the law, they don't realize where they're falling short. They don't realize that they're a lawbreaker. They don't realize that they need someone to help them do what they can't do, fulfill the law. So they have to have that law aspect, rules, guidelines, things set up, boundaries, but they also need grace, and they need grace abundantly. It is tough parenting. Every parent will agree to that. But you want to be filled and filled and filled with grace. Harsh words, that's not grace. I've been guilty of that myself, but that's not grace. Okay, we, want, we want God to interact with us with a lot of grace. Well, then that's how we should interact with others, with a lot of grace. And he pour, God pours out his grace on those who seek him abundantly. His children, he is very gracious. He's very merciful. 
Well, we should be that with our own children as well as others. But we have to learn that balance. Learn where your weakness is. Hopefully, God's been gracious and you have a spouse that can sharpen you a little bit, that can pull you back and say, I don't know about that. My wife has done that many, many, many times. Right? Maybe you could have said that a little more gently or a lot more gently. <laughs> you need to be so consumed with the grace of God in your life that it pours out from your life into your children. Now, if you know the story of Samuel, you know what he ends up becoming. He ends up becoming a servant. He ends up becoming a judge. He ends up ministering in the house of God. So he's a judge, ruling all the, over all the people of Israel in his judicious capacity. And this is the Samuel. Maybe you've heard the story in Sunday school where he's laying in his bed one night, and he hears, I mean, it says the Lord came to him and called him, and he thinks it's Eli the priest in the other room. So he, whoop, he pops up and goes to Eli, and he's like, here I am. And Eli's like, I didn't call you. And he goes back to his room, and he's laying there, and the Lord calls him again, pops up and goes to the priest, and here I am. And finally, Eli, the third time, realizes, like, the Lord's calling him. So he tells him, like, say this, the next time the Lord calls you, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And that's really the initial point when God speaks to Samuel and really calls him for the plans that he has for him and for what he wants him to do. Listen, God has done so much for us that we, in turn, out of grateful hearts, should want to serve him. Here's what it says in Matthew 20, 28. It says, even as the Son of Man came, that's Jesus, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus has served us so much, even to the point of laying down his own life, that we should in turn want to emulate that, to mimic that, to be like that, and to serve others. And so the question is, in this regard, who will we serve? We're going to ordain two men today to the office of deacon. And these men have shown themselves faithful. We're not ordaining men that we hope meet the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3. We're not ordaining men that we hope are faithful. We're not ordaining men that we hope might serve. We're really, as a church, recognizing the faithfulness and the service that these men have already displayed. So the church, you all are the ones that nominated them, and you all are the ones that confirmed these men. And faithful they have been, and we pray for them that they continue to be faithful. So we have trust, we have train, and finally, we have transform. Listen, children will challenge you. They'll change you. They'll sanctify you. And God will use them to transform you. You must continue to transform and be transformed. Here's what it says in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we want to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Transformed. Uh, a couple chapters earlier it talks about being conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. 
So we're being transformed, we're being conformed. Is that a work that we're just doing on our own? No. A lot of times when it talks about the work God's doing in us, it's in, it's in the passive voice, meaning there's an, there's an active agent and it's not us. It's God. He's, he's working in us and through us. He's sanctifying us and we're working in cooperation with him for sanctification. So we don't just let go and let God and just let, we just sit around and idly wait for him to do something. No, we're active as believers. We're taking steps to be transformed. We're being active in our walk with the Lord. We want to be doers. We want to be seekers of him. So we're being transformed as God works in us and through us. What is the goal with parenting? What is the ultimate goal? It's for our children to love and obey God. That's the goal, to love and obey God. We want to see our children trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And that love that God has for us, it works its way from the inside out, transforming us, changing us. And here's the thing. Listen, everyone has a background when it comes to church and when it comes to their faith, even if that background means there really wasn't a church involved. Uh, What I'm about to share with you is something I missed out on in my church that I grew up in. I mean, I grew up in church. I mean, I was like, you know, Samuel. I was almost like in church from the day I was born. Uh, But here's one thing I didn't hear, but I want to encourage you all with it, and it's with the word gospel. That word literally means, if you just translated that literally, literally means good news. So whenever you read the gospel, you've got the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John. That's the good news that they're bringing to you. But what is that good news? And then if you actually read in the New Testament, sometimes it'll translate a good news, but sometimes it just translates the gospel. But you could just say good news. Because here's the thing. Jesus was sent to bring us the gospel, to bring us the good news. And he sent the forerunner, John the Baptist, to prepare the way. But Jesus brings us the good news. It talks about he went preaching the gospel. What was that, though? What was the good news? Because the bad news is is that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And it actually says some pretty straightforward words in the New Testament. That when we have fallen and when we fall short, it says actually that God's wrath will be poured out upon us unless we repent. But God is gracious to tell us that. Because guess what? Think about Jonah for a second. Jonah is told to go to this wicked, nasty country, Nineveh. That's the capital of of Assyria. To go to them and preach that they're going to be destroyed. But what happens Eventually, Jonah finally gets there after running away. But he gets there, and he preaches that message, and what happens to the people? Even all the way up to the king, they repent and change. What does God do? He doesn't destroy Nineveh. He doesn't destroy it. So that message comes, and those people probably heard it and were like, that's horrible. But they acted on it. They knew it was from God, and they did something about it. They changed, so God didn't destroy them. 
The same is true when it comes to God's wrath poured out. Like that's a warning. It's a warning. But that is grace to give us a warning. Why? Because there's an opportunity for each one of us to do something about it, to change, to repent. That's the bad news. But the good news is this. Jesus was sent for us. God provided a way through his own son, the sacrifice of his own son, so that you could be reunited with the Father. You're the lawbreaker. I'm the lawbreaker. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it where we couldn't. Everything that was listed to a T, he completed it, knowing that we couldn't, knowing that we were fallen, that we were in our sin, and that we had no hope. But here Jesus comes, and he brings hope. And he offers, it says in Romans, the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. It's a little bit earlier, though. It says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So our sin brings death. What does God bring? He brings eternal life. I don't know about you, but I'd prefer eternal life over death. Well, how do we get that? It's through trust. That's actually my first word, right? Trusting. But not just like a general sense. The Bible uses the word faith. I think that word has been kind of twisted and distorted these days, unfortunately. Faith isn't in something just like you hope might happen possibly. You know, your kids have their long Christmas list. Some of them probably already have it made out, and they got all these things, and and they're just hoping for a pony or something like that. No, when we talk about faith, a good word that is similar to it is trust. Like, God comes and he wants you to trust in the finished work of his son, that what Jesus did for you was enough, that you can't do anything yourself. Remember, you're a lawbreaker just like me. Lawbreakers break the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. If you have Jesus, then he does what you couldn't do. If you have Jesus, you can have that forgiveness of sins and you can be reunited with the Father. You can have fellowship with him. That first command, remember Jesus was like, what's the greatest command? They asked him, love the Lord with all your God. In fact, he was really just quoting the Old Testament. We read it in Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We can't do that on our own. We can't. We can try all we want. We can't. We have to have Jesus a part of the picture, the perfect law fulfiller. So I encourage each one of us here, you have the gift of eternal life that you can have through trust in Christ. He paid the price. He paid the perfect price. He rose from the dead. They looked in that tomb that third day. It was empty. Why is that important? Because it shows that he had victory over the grave. That everything he said was true. He said, I got the power to lay down my life. I got the power to lift it up again. And that's what he did. So that's available for each one of us. I encourage you. The Bible says in Hebrews and in Psalms, today is the day of salvation. Don't tarry another day. Let today be the day that you commit to the Lord, that you trust in him for your salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you fulfilled the law, that you did what we couldn't do, 
And I pray for each person here, Lord, you are the knower of hearts. And only you are. And I pray you would speak to each person right now about the state of their soul, about the state of their heart, and reveal it to them clearly and wipe away any deception. And I pray, God, by your Spirit, they would trust in you for salvation. They would trust in you for the forgiveness of sins. They would turn away from what they've done and turn towards you. God, you are so good and so quick to forgive. And over and over and over and over and over again, Lord, you are quick to forgive. You are merciful. You are filled with grace. We thank you for that, Father, that you are so good to your children. We ask that you would continue to bless the rest of our service now for your glory. Amen.